All right, so we'll talk about um, chapter 13, July 18th, 2019. We're getting pretty close, aren't we? So at the end of today, we'll have two weeks remaining. So that means you're two-thirds of the way through at the end of today. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Awesome. All right, so delivering your speech. Obviously, uh, chapter 13, delivering your speech. You've all delivered a speech so far. Two speeches, haven't you? So you've done this. And if you look at the speech evaluation form, I gave you some indications about um, uh, some of those um, uh, areas that you completed. And some maybe you didn't. So the goal is going forward is if there, if I didn't mark anything in there, that means you probably didn't do that. Okay. So going forward, um, make sure you look at that form. And if it was blank, indicating you probably didn't do it, then just do the best you can to, uh, for the next speech, focus on completing that area. Okay. So delivering your speech. The outline here says... The power of speech delivery. Listeners expect an effective delivery. Listeners make an emotional connection with you through your delivery. Listeners believe what they see. Listeners believe what they see. Methods of de delivery. Manuscript speaking. Memorized speaking. Impromptu speaking. Extemporaneous speaking. Characteristics of effective delivery. Eye contact. Gestures. Movement. Posture. Facial expressions. Vocal delivery personal experience, and then some tips on rehearsing for your final tips, and then delivering your speech and responding to questions. Uh, generally speaking, in platform speaking, you don't have questions. So at the end, you say thank you, we clap, you sit down. For the final speech, we have a pro-con speech, and in that speech, you will entertain questions. Okay, But generally speaking, in platform speaking, is, that's what we do here, then there would not be Q&A. I know that sometimes as an audience member, you do have questions in your mind, don't you? And that's normal and that's natural. As a public speaker, you try not to raise issues that you don't close so that if you raise an issue in the listeners' minds, that you make sure that you address it, you close it before you leave. So that way, when you leave, they don't think to themselves, I really am missing some, some information. So that is kind of the key to closure. Closure is very important. Don't you hate it when you're watching a movie and you sit in the theater for an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, and then you're watching the movie, and then all of a sudden the, the credits roll, and you're like, what? How is it even possible? They, they didn't, what about this? What about that? It's very frustrating, isn't it? As a public speaker, if you bring something up, make sure that you address it and you close it before you sit down. Another thing that several of you have done is do not provide new information after the buzzer goes off. Right now, we got a 30-second buzzer. The buzzer goes off, then you got 30 seconds left. Some of you still say, oh, 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 hold on. This is so important, I have to say it. No, it's not. If you didn't say it before the buzzer, it wasn't important because that means that you didn't manage your time well enough to make sure that you got the most important thing in, highlighted it, and, and emphasized it. Once the buzzer comes, you should take a beat, and say, in summary, let me conclude, let me wrap this up, some transitional phrase like that, and then do it. you got about 25 seconds to get out. Some of you did a really nice job, really up until the conclusion, because if you don't manage your time well, then you're like, oh, crap, and then you start rushing, and then we feel like this was really a good pace, and all of a sudden, in the last 30 seconds, you talk 100 miles an hour so that you can get everything in so you can get out. Don't do that. 
Because even if you did mismanage your time, make it seem more natural. You could be right in the middle of a sentence, and if the buzzer goes off, I would just take a beat, and then I would say, okay, let me recap, and then go through your uh, <clears throat> review, and then get out of it, okay? Does that make sense? The power of speech delivery. Identify three reasons to deliver. Uh, identify three reasons delivery is important to a public speaker. It says here, the way you hold your notes, your gestures, your stance, and your impatient adjustment of your glasses all contribute to the overall effect of your speech. So, when your audience members look at you presenting or delivering a speech, they're making some judgments, not just about the content of what you say, but how you say it. And that's kind of that visual component of a public speech. And nonverbal communication plays a huge role. That is the non-spoken, non-linguistic communicative behavior that you use as you speak, right? Uh, and I think on the form, I think I've said before, uh, look like you're happy. Don't, when you come up here, don't look like it's dread. So present to us, the audience or listeners, a very positive, upbeat. You should, be, you should always come at the speeches as positive and upbeat. I know some of these topics are serious and there's a tone, so don't misunderstand me. But you still need to have, and you have to be energetic, and the, the passion needs to kind of seep through in your delivery. It's very important. If you speak about something and you say, you know, I'm really passionate about this thing and this is super important to me, um, sometimes even that tone of your voice communicates the opposite. If you're passionate, you probably would be a lot more animated, charismatic. So nonverbal communication is defined as the communication other than through written or spoken language that creates meaning. And the truth is, uh, emotion is communicated non-verbally. So when you are speaking, your facial expressions, your vocal quality, your posture, your eye contact are communicating the emotion behind the words. It's important to look up. Some of you were doing what I said is way too much reading. That you had your notes, and you relied way too much on looking down and reading them, and you didn't have your head up, at least on balance, it should have been up more and more eye contact with these people. This is going to be especially crucial for the next two speeches because if you are going to ever convince somebody of something, especially if they're not necessarily inclined towards that, towards that position, you do have to look at them. Because when you look at people, you uh, exude confidence. And uh, if you, you have this confidence and the audience interprets that uh, usually as you are believable, and you have credibility, they're more likely to agree or follow the position that you advocate for. So it's important. Uh, listeners expect an effective delivery. Um, I have, uh, through the years, made it much more difficult, I think, at times for students uh, because I have, I have communicated some pretty high standards for what I expect as a public speaker. One of those, which you know, is to be concise and be precise. Oftentimes, new speakers have a problem with being providing concise information and being precise in their communication. So the audience does have expectations, uh, generally speaking, and then I'm uh, communicating some expectations as well. And uh, the expectations of the audience are important because if you meet them, they probably will be more likely to judge your speech as effective and um, ultimately whatever your goal is, you'll achieve it. Audience-centered speaking, um, we've talked about this. Uh, the entire book is surrounded by this idea of audience-centered speaking. So you should be concerned about the audience and um, 
as an ethical speaker, that idea of ethos basically means that the speaker's message is not only important to the speaker, but the speaker assumes and should project this, that the message is extremely important to you all. So a really good ethical message is one that is beyond self-centered. Because you could pick on your own pet peeves, or you could pick on things that really bug you, but what if they only just bug you? Or what if they only bug a, a small percentage of your audience? So the things that you talk about should be very, really useful to everybody, or at least uh, the majority of the people that you talk to. Listeners make emotional connections with you through your delivery. They talk about emotional contagion theory. And it says here that people catch other people's emotions. You, you all know this, right? When you go to a movie, this is especially true. If it's supposed to be a comedy or funny, people laugh. And then when people laugh, you're more likely to laugh too. It's, it's the contagion. Likewise, if there's something sad or something really difficult emotionally in a movie, sometimes you'll feel these deep emotions that, that you connect with the, the actors. And in some cases, you may actually have salt water fall out of your eyes. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. I mean, for men, not sure about that, right? But yeah, sometimes the emotion is so deep that you respond physically to that emotion. And sometimes in class, and I think I felt some of this, and I, uh, as I looked around, I have a sense that you all did for our first speech when we were talking about some of these really difficult personal experiences that some of you have lived. So that's important. Listeners believe what they see. Um, <clears throat> We usually believe nonverbal messages because they're more difficult to fake. So if you think someone's being deceptive or lying to you, normally what you say is, the words coming out of their, their face, I interpret them much different than their body language is communicating. So their body's communicating one thing, their lips are communicating another thing, and these things aren't lining up. So which one are you more likely to believe? The words out of someone's face or what their body's communicating? Body language, right? Yeah, typically. So if you're good at detecting liars or people lying to you, normally you hear the words and then you look at their, their physical um, you know, response as they're saying it to say, eh, it's incongruent. There's something that's not consistent here. And if there's some inconsistencies, I tend to believe what your body's communicating versus what your words are communicating, right? That's, just ba that's basic, right? And that's what audiences do as well. Met different methods of delivery, manuscript, Memorized, impromptu, extemporaneous. There's a really good chart on page 261 as an overview. But these are three types or methods of delivery. And you could take advantage of all of them. The first one, manuscript reading. Uh, this is basically just coming up here with a book or booklet or something that's writ written out. And basically, you're just reading it verbatim. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you can only do it in short segments, five seconds, seven seconds, ten. You don't want to come up here and for three minutes read something. So you have to make sure that it's short, succinct, and it's placed appropriately within your text. That's called manuscript speaking, which is effective. Um, I like memorized speaking, which means that you memorize the things that you want to say, and then you come here and deliver them. And the advantage of memorizing, one, is that you can look at everybody right in the eyes as you're saying it. And again, reliability, credibility, believability goes way up. The more you look down and they see the top of your head or they, they see the top of your forehead, they're less likely to believe what you're saying. In our culture, when you look someone right in the eyes and you tell them, we, have, we, have a, we, we interpret that as truthful, honest, direct. 
and the opposite is also true. If you uh, do not demand that the audience look at you and you look at them, they may, si they may feel it's a sign of a weakness, not only in mainly in the things that you're going to say. It's not as strong as it could be. So memorize what you can, even if it's the first couple of sentences um, or a quote is good because sometimes they're short, so you can do those. Um, does any, did anybody in school, were you forced to memorize anything? Yeah, do you remember what it was, Alvaro? Poetry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Anybody else, anything specific? Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, good. Yeah. Did anybody find it difficult to memorize things? Yeah. You can sing the song, though, can't you? You know the song that you have in your head? Oh, you can sing it from beginning to end. You have that memorized, don't you? Yeah. A lot of times if you put the thing into some what they call a mnemonic, which is a, some, some way to kind of remember it. There's different ways to do it. Some rhythm, sea songing, and those kind of things, and songs are really effective. That's why they teach that alphabet song that confuses the heck out of little kids. You know the alphabet song? The ABC song? And then you're like, that makes no sense. But you sing it, and you're pretty happy because you know it. But it makes no sense because that's not the sound the letters make. And then you go to, you know, read, and you're like, you don't, you're confused because that's not the sound of the letters, right? A, B, C is a, ba, sa, or, or ka, or something like that. So <laughs> the sound of the letters is not the song. Anybody know that? You're like, what? Yeah. Because in the English language, normally, if you take the sounds of the letters and you put them together, they usually then make the word, right? I mean, typically, again, there's other rules to it. Why are you, you shaking your head? Are you disagreeing with what I said? Oh, okay. That's fine. And that's one of the difficult things about learning English is that if you teach phonics, you could take the sounds of the letters, and you may not know what the word even means, but you could definitely pronounce the word. You just put the sounds together. But if you then have this ABC thing, it totally doesn't make any sense. So uh, for us, um, normally the sounds are really the ones. And that's, so they teach young kids to sing the song. Basically, you're learning the letters of the alphabet, right? That's kind of what the song is, to learn the letters of the alphabet. But it's confusing if you try to use that to use it phonically to create the sounds that make the words, right? I don't know if anybody's thought that deeply about it, but it is a little bit confusing for these little young people. But memorizing things are good. And then impromptu is um, kind of thinking on your feet, you know, off the cuff, where, you know, you have some general knowledge and someone says, okay, here's your topic, um, do a quick speech on that topic. You didn't plan for it, you didn't spend any time researching it, you just like off the top of your head, you know, give it to me. And um, I used to compete at speech when I was in college, and I used to judge speech tournaments. And they did have a category of impromptu speaking. And I didn't like judging them. And I certainly didn't like doing them, personally, because I like to prepare, and I feel confident. And this is really challenging to be able to just step up. It's like, quick, you know, I have some speech teachers who are like, you know, here's a pencil. Quick, get up here and tell me something about the pencil. That that. That used to be kind of popular. And in sales, sometimes, too, they'll do that. They'll say, yeah, here's a stapler. Come up here and sell us the stapler. You're like, this is a stapler. Some of you don't know what it is because uh, in my syllabus, I say staple the papers before you give it to me. And you're still handing me papers that aren't stapled. So obviously, some of you don't even know what a stapler is. 
Okay. <laughs> Impromptu speaking is uh, very difficult, and personally, um, I don't. I've. I think I tried that once years ago. I just think it's unfair to students, especially new students, to do that. People that can do it, they're very impressive. But it's a, it's a more advanced skill. But the one that we do is extemporaneous speaking that you see there. That's what we do. So you pick your topic, you develop some ideas, you put some notes out there, and then when you come here to deliver it, you're using the interaction with the audience and you're, organize the, the, you're organizing the ideas kind of as you're delivering it. So you have a basic outline, but here you interact with the people live and the feedback helps you then to deliver your speech. That is the extemporaneous. It says here, the approach that most communication teachers, which is true, and when you deliver a speech extemporaneously, you speak from a written or memorized general outline, but you do not have the exact wording in front of you or in your memory. In fact, if you did the speech more than once and you did it over a couple of different, you know, you kept the same speech and you kept doing it, it may seem a lot different from the first time to the third or fourth time you did it. Sometimes you just get into a rhythm and you, you notice as you're trying to choose words as you're speaking, some are better than others and you see it and you repeat, and you repeat those and you use those. Um, I, think that's the, I think that is uh, the most interesting part of public speaking is that you are using the personal experience that you have as you interact with these people. You're taking their feedback and their response and in the context you're delivering your ideas. And I think that's the exciting thing about it. And that's why I think good public speakers, they don't have to, de they don't have to be perfect in their delivery. Uh, sometimes people say, there's a lot of ums, or there's a lot of, you know, we call them verbal flubs or whatever. I don't think it's that big of a deal, honestly, because I think most people, that's normally how they speak. And that, I've never, uh, I, I actually um, had a couple of speech teachers, they used to put tick marks for ums and ahs. So on that form, they had an um and ah box, and they would do ticks. And then you get the form back, and I got 20 ums. So I got the form back, and I'm like, I got 20 ums. Is, or five ahs and 20 ums. I'm like, what, what does this mean? Yeah. Like the ums and the ahs. And maybe because I speak imperfectly with ums and ahs, but I just think that's not a fair standard. However, I have had some speakers that the ums and ahs did become distracting. And it did take away from the effectiveness of the speech. So we could say that too. But generally speaking, normal people, when they communicate, there's ums and ahs and pauses or whatever. I find that to be somewhat natural. And I don't think the audiences are normally distracted by that. OK, so on page uh, 261, 13.1 uh, methods of delivery. And this, there's, there's a, this is a really good uh, table. It gives you the delivery method, the description, the disadvantages and the advantages of each. So, uh, so if you get a chance, refer to that. It says how to develop an extemporaneous delivery style, and they recommend three uh, stages of rehearsal. Early rehearsal, later rehearsal, final. Early, when you first rehearse, use as many notes as you can and maybe do some reading. Later rehearsal, uh, reduce the number of notes and, and so memorize more. And of course, the final one is, your notes really should be the sourcing that you're going to use because you can't memorize that. And then maybe some quotes that you, you can't memorize. And then maybe some other directions. Sometimes on my notes, I'll write, listen, stupid, make sure to include this. And someone found my cards. They're like, you calling yourself stupid? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because for me, that, that works for me to, to be able to say, emphasize this, dummy. 
you know, that works. But your notes should be uh, a guide. And um, I think I said you have to have at least one, not more than 1,000. And I don't know if it was this class, but I still see students coming up here with pieces of paper. And I don't know if it was this class, because sometimes I get my classes confused, cutting pieces of paper into looking like note cards. <laughs> FYI, not note cards. Yeah, I know. I, I cut pieces of paper into five by seven, and then I come up here with pieces of paper. Those are not note cards. And uh, so please, if that was you, make the adjustment. Again, you can buy a kilo of note cards, really cheap, and they'll last forever. You know, the apocalypse comes, and you'll still have those note cards, okay? You can hand them out to the zombies, because I still have some from 1980. So they last a long time. Okay, characteristics of effective delivery. Starts with eye contact. We discussed that. The more, the better. Um, <clears throat> look, as, <laughs> look at your audience as you begin speaking. And again, sometimes if it's just, hi, my name, this is the topic, and then the next thing you say should be an attempt to gain their attention. And again, whatever that is, if it's a quote or even just a little anecdote or a startling fact, you should be able to look at everybody. You should be able to look out and be able to say those things. But I know sometimes you're nervous and you're anxious, and sometimes that's super hard to do. But if you can, it says look at the audience members. But I will say this. You don't need to stare at me. I still get a student or two that stares at me. You don't need to stare at me. Because these people are really important to you as you speak. You don't need to, in fact, if you don't look at me, it's 100% fine because <coughs> I'm off in the corner. But every once in a while, a student will just, they'll be like, their focus is over there in the corner where I am. And it's really odd to these people because they feel like they're, they're being ignored. And you know, you don't want to feel like you're being ignored. So, so just as a tip, look everywhere, look at individuals, look into the camera. And uh, I hope that some of you, has anyone recorded anything so far? Raise your hand if you recorded. I want to know one person so far. Well, well, how about if, I'm sorry? Okay, so, so why don't we, um, for the next speech, let's try to improve that ratio. Be brave, because the thing that I write down is a representation of it. The better one is the one that you see on the video. So do the best you can, because if you really want to get good at this, that's the way to do it. And um, even if you look at it later. Gestures, some of you, I, I mentioned that you are doing this and holding on to the podium, or you're holding on to your notes. And I recommend that you at least take one hand off and use your hand to gesture, even if it's one hand. But a couple of you did this, and you couldn't gesture. A couple of you did this with notes, you couldn't gesture. And one or two of you uh, did this, and you couldn't gesture. So don't put your hands in your pocket. Don't even go with one in, one out. I would have my hands out in front of me. The odd thing is, is when I see you out there talking to each other, you're talking with your hands and you're gesturing and dancing and moving around. And then you come here, you're real stiff. And you grab a hold of the podium and you look stiff. So let it go. Now, unless you think you're going to fall, um, but because there's been times when for me, I'm glad I was hanging on because I kind of tripped myself up and it kept me from falling. But I think most of you probably will be safe. So please let go. That's all I'm saying. All right. All right. Uh, uh, avoid awkward gestures. I didn't see any of those, but I have seen some in the past. There's some interesting ones. The one that I see probably mostly is hands and pockets. And if you have them in your pocket, you can't use them naturally to, use, to gesture. And gesturing is very natural. 
Um, useful gestures, repeating. Gestures can help you repeat a message. Uh, and sometimes I do this. I'm like one, two, and my third point will be, or, you know, fourth point, or it's, you know, two and two, you know, those kind of things. So I think they help. Um, complimenting, substituting, emphasizing, you know, regulating. Those are all good. They're just basically natural things that you do that when you get anxious or nervous, sometimes you just stop doing those things, okay? Movement, uh, we talked about this before, and most of you are fine because you're staying within the confines of the lectern. I recommend that. Uh, if you speak in an environment where the platform is low and the audience is high, or the, your, your platform is high and the audience is low, moving around is fine. The problem, if you're on the same level, when you move, then the audience members, then they may get behind someone's head and then they have to adjust to see you. So if you stand here, they can all adjust their seats and their vision to see you. And if you move, they don't have to be distracted by that. I'm not against movement uh, at all. All right, posture. Uh, you usually should, stall, should stand erect. Uh, sometimes I do this, I lean over, and it's probably not a good uh, uh, habit. Uh, standing up is good. And uh, if you stand here erect with strong posture, it also non-verbally communicates, I think, confidence as well. Sometimes when you're leaning over, it looks like you're just kind of being slacky or lazy. So, and most of you did fine with that. Facial expression, um, look like you're not in pain. And it says, rehearse your expressions. Yeah. I do a lot of videos for my business stuff, and my grandson looks at the video and he says, Pop, your head's all wrinkly. <laughs> My forehead's all wrinkly. I said, you know what? It is wrinkly. It's, I got that. I can't really change that, right? So if you want to like, look in the mirror or at least videotape yourself, you might find some odd or strange expressions or whatever. And you, again, I'm not saying you should, but it, it, you may want to change it. And again, I'm not that caught up on that because I think everybody probably thinks they have a strange or bizarre expression. I think naturally we're, we're really critical of ourselves, but the good news is they're not. So rehearse your expressions. Um, <clears throat> try to match your expression to your message. Uh, adapt expressions for video. Yeah, maybe. Vocal delivery. This is an important one because you have a body and you have a voice. And I think some of you are not taking advantage of your lovely voice. Some of it is your volume is way too low or you speak too softly. And so volume is an important one, and you don't have to be loud all the time. You don't have to be soft. You, you can modulate it. In fact, if you modulate it, it makes it much more difficult for us not to pay attention. Because in your brain, if all of a sudden you're really, and then I pause, your brain actually goes, because you're comparing and contrasting this, the, the increase in the volume to silence, and it, it forces your brain to go, what was that? And you, you kind of readjust your focus. And so... Part of being effective here is using your voice to your advantage. And I think that a lot of you aren't taking advantage of that. Some of you, you keep the same modulation the entire time you talk like this. I'm going to tell you a story. And for the next six minutes, I will talk just like this for six minutes. And in the next six minutes, I will talk like this. And I will be speaking like this. So I want everybody to pay attention. For six minutes, I will talk like this. How soon will you tune out of that? Uh, yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard. So you don't have to yell, and you don't have to do that, 
but you do need to modulate your voice, the tempo, the pitch, the volume. You have to do that. And some of you, I wrote that, vary this. So you could have the nicest uh, voice in the world, but if you just keep it like a straight line and you don't modulate it, it's going to be much harder for them to listen. I mean, there's a, there's a thing called monotone. You've heard that before. Mono meaning singular, tone meaning the sa- basic the same, that you keep it the same. And I know that every once in a while you'll have a teacher who does a lot of lecturing or writes on the board a lot, and they speak on what you would say is one tone or monotone, and it does make it more difficult to um, keep your brain focused on them. Vocal delivery, we mentioned it, the volume. You should increase it, decrease it for sure. Articulation. The process of speaking sounds clearly and distinctly is articulation. And again, some of the stuff, I know um, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think that if you, quote, don't articulate things perfectly, again, I think the audience is very uh, gracious and open to those different things, and they're not going to really judge it harshly. Dialect. Uh, a dialect is a consistent style of pronouncing words that is common with an ethnic group or geographical reason, uh, region. Sometimes south, north, east and, east, and west have, quote, different accents. For some reason, I always find British or Australian accents very interesting. And when people use an Australian or British accent, I almost always think they're super smart. I, I don't know why. There's just something about certain accents that just strike me and maybe other people as, whoa. And they could be saying the same thing as someone who's not super smart, but they just sound smart. So there is something about dialects that we, we, we place some value on it. Pronunciation. Whereas articulation relates to the clarity of the sounds, pronunciation concerns the degree to which the sounds conform to those assigned in the English language. Again, um, I'm, I don't focus too much on that. Is it tomato or tomato? Is it potato or potato? <clears throat> Anyone know? You say tomato, I say tomato. Speak with variety. Be diverse in your communication. Pitch, vocal pitch, is how high or how low your voice sounds. Right? How high and how low it sounds. So modulate. Rate, fast, slow. The uh, interesting thing is fast is generally preferred over slow. If you have a choice between listening to Someone speak slowly, or someone who speaks rapidly, oddly enough, our brain could process uh, rapid uh, speech simply. The slower the speech, you have a tendency to fill in the gap or fill in the word or or conclude the sentence before they do. So, uh, and I think for us, I don't think that's an issue for us. Pauses. I mentioned this before, the right word, Mark Twain says, may be effective, but no word was ever as effective as a rightly timed pause. You can use pauses. Mm-hmm. Personal appearance, you should look as good as you could. That's the goal. I generally don't tell students how they should dress. I usually say up, and every once in a while, students are like, what does that mean? And I rarely ever say what it means because it's somewhat relative, but in an environment like this, 
you should convince the audience that you tried to improve your attire, which is different than uh, when you're sitting there as a student. That's all you really need to convince them. So men can have a three-piece suit, they can come on the tie, women come in ball gowns, beautiful dresses, all those things, or not. But it's contextual, and it also demonstrates that you're trying. So if you come up here, you got your sweats, you got your shorts, you got your tank tops, just regular things that you normally wear, it's one indication that you're not, you're not trying as hard as you can. Again, it could be, oops, I had my stuff on the hanger, and I left. I'm like, oh my gosh, I left my stuff home. Or it could just be, I don't care. Too bad, so sad. This, if you don't like me, this is who I am. Too bad, and I'm not dressing up. Forget you. Uh, and I think that some students, that's in their head. Again, if you want to get really good at this, you do have to also present a very positive uh, image through your attire. Right? It's an important part of public speaking. The audience will judge you based upon what you're wearing, in a sense, what you're not wearing, or is it, is it um, appropriate in this context? Rehearsing your speech, some final tips. Give yourself plenty of time. Practice before making speaking notes. Prepare your speaking notes as you rehearse. Just don't come in here and take your notes with you and read it. Okay, don't do that. Rehearse your speech standing up. You know, that's really weird. It's much different than if you're sitting down and standing up. There's just something that happens when you're standing up and delivering rather than sitting down. Um, I, I remember I had one teacher that would pull the chair up over here and sit there and just lecture sitting down. I don't know if you have, you have teachers like that. Now, I know some people have disabilities. Let's face it, and some people are, you know. Uh, but I always found that to be odd because I thought standing up communicated something about the message and about what they're saying sitting down also communicate something. And again, I'm not saying that's universally true because some people, I actually had one of my favorite teachers who was um, uh, elderly and he did pull up a chair and speak and he was fabulous, but I always thought it was interesting that it was weird sitting down. So stand erect. Rehearse standing up, rehearse with an audience if you can. If you have your phone or iPad, minimally do that and then play it back. But really, a live audience of your friends and family is good. Um, if you have any presentation aids, a couple of things I want to say about that. Do not write anything on the board. Sometimes students are like, can I have a marker? I'm like, why? I want to write something. Don't. Do not write on the board. It, it never works out well. So if you think you need a visual aid, clear it with me because that's fine. But it would have to be something that is... Um, that would work to your advantage because oftentimes students use visual aids and it, it's a distraction. And so we want to make sure they're not distractions, okay? Uh, make re rehearsals realistic and practice uh, good uh, these skills that, that the book details as you're rehearsing. All right, get plenty of sleep before your speech. No one's going to do that. I don't know why they put that in there. Does anybody sleep at all? Uh, arrive early for your speaking engagement. I guess it makes sense when you're like 10 minutes late and then I'm like next and you're like, crap, I just got here. Uh, also, as a reminder that um, you, on speech days, try to remind yourself not to come plowing through the door. I won't mention any names, but you know who you are. Just listen on the door. When you come up to the door and the door is closed, at least pause for a second and see what's going on. I mean, sometimes you can't hear speaking, but if you could just wait till you hear the clapping and then come in. 
But I know sometimes you're just not thinking, but I get it. Okay, and responding to questions, and we're not going to be worried about that for this, this current speech coming up, and, but it's going to be for the uh, last speech, okay? Any questions about what I just spoke about, chapter 13? <coughs> questions? All right, good. So 